ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Dying Time is here. That's right! It's Friday the 13th, Part 7, The New Blood, on Kill by Kill. Well, greetings and salutations, Internet. It's your old pal Patrick Hamilton, coming to you once again from Camp Crystal Lake, or what used to be Forest Green, or just the recent you know, residential neighborhood development that we decided to plop on top of that old camp blood that no one was using anyways. And this is the Kill by Kill podcast, where we are dedicated to celebrating the least discussed component of any horror film, the characters. We are going to be unpacking all the gory details of Friday the 13th, Part 7, The New Blood, in the hopes that a partier's untimely end is just the beginning of the jokes that we can make about them. And as always, the only person that I trust to help me with my telekinesis-related psychological problems is the one and only bad news, Gina Radcliffe. How you doing, Gina? Well, um, I am stuck in the special kind of hell that is a New York City summer. It's uh, mm-hmm. about 96 degrees here with a humidity index of roughly 492. <laughs> uh, I would really like to be in this uh, this phantom arctic zone that these people in these movies are constantly trapped in in New Jersey, in this, where it's always cold in the summertime. Yeah, it's That's a weird microclimate where everyone really does need a sweater at night. Yeah, it, there's, it just seems that sounds really refreshing to me right now, honestly, to be shivering outside a tent, even though I'm wearing tiny little shorts and complaining about how, and then immediately stripping down after complaining about how cold I am. Yeah, we're going to get to that that campers duo and try to figure out what's doing there. It's a very interesting scenario. But first, the good news is. We are not alone. Our special guest this week, you may know him from film Twitter. Uh, He's a bit of a podcasting leader and certainly someone we look up to here as the host of the F This Movie podcast, the one and only Patrick Bromley. Hello, sir. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Oh, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for gracing us with our your presence we lo- we love f this movie here well you are very nice to say that i don't know that i can uh agree with it but uh i'm a fan of this show i think the concept is ingenious and uh i really enjoy listening to it so i'm excited to be part of it i did when you said oh i'm listening right now and i think you were listening to our part five episode yeah i was uh, part of it, I felt the way like I had just woken up from a dream where I was asked to take a test in high school and I wasn't wearing any clothes. <laughs> Is it? That... Ah, like, football oh. practice. <laughs> uh, 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 please, no one look at me. I don't know what chemistry is. My name am I. I just suddenly got very paranoid. Like, uh, uh, we did good podcasts then, right? 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 Someone tell me. I I immediately listened to our uh, intro episode to that with John Brandon, which if people, if you haven't heard that one, is pretty wild and woolly. And I think a good indicator of just how insane part five would make us. (laughs) I, I will admit I'm a much bigger part five fan than either of you, but it was very entertaining to listen to. <laughs> just listening to the, the rage, just, just, just destroying us and breaking yeah. us down and, and, and reforming it's, us anew. <laughs> it's like listening to two people go crazy in real time, which is <laughs> kind of neat. <laughs> 
Just when we thought we were out, we got pulled back into part five. We reference it fun. Now, I people should like what they like. I don't blame people for enjoying part five because I can see the what the fuck element to it. Right. But I have one question that I ask anyone who states a preference for part five, whether it's above all else or just in general. Where does that movie take place, do you think? Like where on Earth? Yes. If on Earth is one of the options. <laughs> I think and I think that might be the secret is that that it takes place in a weird side dimension. I just assume it's also in New Jersey. Yeah. But I don't know. I mean, I've never honestly given it that much thought in terms of its location. I neither had I. I had always assumed that, that at some point in that movie it tells you where it takes place and it was only when we started watching it week after week after week while taking notes that we came to the realization that it never bothers to tell the audience where in the world it's particular insane Carmen San Diego happens to be <laughs> as far as a location it's just yeah it's, it's a little New Jersey it's a little California it's a little obviously where where hillbillies dwell as in um, <laughs> right. mama and junior it's 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 kind of yeah I, I would say that a sort of alternate dimension would make more sense <laughs> it's a land of great chests both male and female everyone's got a great chest and they're not afraid to show it that is, that is true, and 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 it is where we're talking to oneself is is not just uh, not just uh, ignored but encouraged, <laughs> encouraged by only yourself because people rarely talk to one another, and allowing cats to hang out in uh, in eating establishments. Very very lax health health codes there. They're always sliding off of giant tubes or being shot out of cannons. They the cats will come from anywhere in that joint. We'll just call it, we'll just call it germ newsy. How about that? <laughs> I love it. That sounds um, about right. <laughs> uh, Patrick, uh, what was your first experience with the Friday the Thirteenth franchise? Honestly, my earliest memory of it can't be correct because the first time I can recall watching one of these movies is like at a sleepover at a friend's house watching part six and that just mm -hmm. seems way too late in the evolution of the series for me to finally be checking it out so it's extremely possible that i had seen parts of previous installments prior to that but the first full movie that i remember sitting through was part six and i remember thinking oh well that wasn't that gross because I think in my head it was built up that these movies were super gory and by part six, you know, they were moving away from that. And so I think I remember being surprised by the lack of graphic violence. I can. Yes. And I think that is what something that struck us while we were watching part six was that there was a lot of uh, that the magic tricks had to had to evolve to take away impact of a lot of things. Right. Like, they had obviously really gotten stung in part five, where they just had to yank every bit of gore out of that for whatever reason. I assume MPAA involvement. And so you're you're left with a lot of now you see it, now you don't kind of goof them up tricks. <laughs> Some of which are very effective and are more impactful than they would be if they contained gore. And then sometimes you're kind of like, really? 
okay, <laughs> sure, all right. At least I like these people. Right. Well, yeah, Tom McLaughlin is just a better director. And so he realized, oh, okay, well, I'm not interested in just making a geek show. And if I'm not going to do that, then I need to figure out other ways to make this movie interesting. So I'll have sympathetic characters or clever dialogue or a sense of humor. Whereas, you know, Danny Steinman was just like, more boobs, more blood. And, uh, and then they had that cut up. So... Tom McLaughlin knew how to compensate for those things. Absolutely. And so this brings us uh, now to part seven. Now we've now we've evolved from the monster movie that part six is into this odd genre mashup where we're getting a snobs versus slobs comedy smashed into Carrie, smashed into a Friday the 13th movie and uh, to wit. Let us review at this moment in time who is still left alive. Let's do a quick body count. All of um, them. All of them. <laughs> every character in every movie ever is in alive is alive in this movie. There are less active participants in an NFL team than there are people in this movie at this moment in time. I've never said this about any Friday the 13th movie up to this point. I feel like they're not killing people fast enough. <laughs> because there there is a surplus of... Of characters in this movie and and they're all pretty interchangeable um it doesn't help that they all are wearing the jc penny sport pastels collection <laughs> and they're i don't know any of their names i i had to like i did not figure out who the people were going to be talking about's names were until almost up to the point where they were no I, a couple of them i had to look up because a couple of them didn't have any names or at least no. their names weren't mentioned there people don't say each other's names all that often ben's girlfriend i had to deduce by looking up every act uh, actress's name and then going no no she's the redhead no that's the other one no no oh kate finally it took me 15 minutes to find out who this person was on, there's a lot of players on the field. This is this is kind of feeling like a little bit like a like like an episode of Game of Thrones, where <laughs> where you're just you're just counting down people just to you know be knocked over like bowling pins. Let's help everybody by giving them a you know a description of them without the help of pictures. That's what a podcast is. It's audio. All right. So let's start, of course, with the star of the show. That's Tina. Uh, she's a teen psychic who uh, you'll know is using her paranormal powers when she when you see her squint like she's trying to hold into a fart <laughs> inside of a car that's way too small and the windows don't roll down. <laughs> There's a lot of effort involved in moving things mentally. And, okay, that's fine. It works for me. The other thing that I noticed about Tina, and maybe this is just a, a Lar Park Lincoln thing, is that she talks as if her braces were just taken off off camera. <laughs> her lips separate from her mouth a lot in her enunciation. It's not a bad thing. It's just the thing I noticed. So uh, connected to Tina, of course, is Tina's mom, Mrs. Shepard, who modeled her hair exclusively after viewing the Sphinx. And that style has become a total riddle to me. <laughs> Uh, and then there's the uh, medical help, of course, on site, and that's Dr. Bad News Cruz, played by the one and only Terry Kaiser. Who's just a, a, a inexplicable ball of anger and rage at this, this teenage girl who could probably kill him with her mind at this point. Yeah, I, the, his plan 
is mystifying to me. He, it's, I mean, he, he he took he took that spike that she found right that doesn't yes. that isn't that a reveal later in the movie that that he actually took it and is hiding it from her right to to make her feel like she's crazy so that she will act out so that she will use her telekinesis powers but he doesn't ever seem to think that that will come back to burn him he's never experienced storytelling anywhere else he's <laughs> Like this will this will never touch me. I'll just make this crazy person who can't control her telekinetic powers mad. You would you would think that like the the psychiatrist association would have totally talked about what happened to John Cassavetes at the end of the Fury. <laughs> and what is his end? Ga- if she does reveal her psychic powers and use them, what is his end game then? I assume just, you dollar sign, dollar sign, dollar sign is the only thing I can think I of. I mean, you would think so, but you would also hope that that would be spelled out in some way that, you know, he would just write in his diary, can't wait to make money off Psychic Girl or something so that we understand why he's so interested in her demonstrating these abilities. Yeah, it's somewhere in between join Amway <laughs> force tina to demonstrate telekinetic powers make money and somewhere in that that pyramid scheme this is all going to go his way and everything's going to come up millhouse for him <laughs> but uh, yeah, as far as a business plan he joins a long list of people who have very bad business plans in crystal lake and i want to apologize in the last episode i constantly called terry kaiser terry cruz it's going to keep happening. It's because just, it's those, those two actors look identical to one another, and you would always confuse them, even if they were standing in front of you. And over at the party cabin, at the the uh, which part is the snobs and which part is the slobs of this? They seem to be intermingled. Yeah. Again, I said this in the last episode, but none of these people seem to like each other. This is well. This- at least here, it's explained that they've all they're all satellites of Nick's cousin. Who died in the last episode. So they haven't necessarily met. They're not in each other's circle. He's the thing that they all rotate around. And they've all agreed to go to this cabin because of him. So at least they explained it this time. As opposed to part three. Where you're like, none of these people would ever hang out with one another. Ever. (laughs) And it's just the fact that one of them happens to have a party van. They're like. Well, I'll get in that party van. Sure. I don't care. You would think after like day two and he doesn't show up, maybe a couple of them might decide to start packing it in and going home. I mean, I'm not a particularly sociable person. Um, I would think that if I was stuck in a cabin with people I didn't know and really didn't care for very much, waiting on somebody who has not appeared and has not called anyone, and apparently to one hilarious joke, might be in jail for drunk driving. (laughs) (laughs) I, I, what this person's known for. (laughs) Yeah, I'm like, well, you know what? I'm going to go home. If he shows up, give me a call. I'll come back. I, I agree with you. The only thing keeping these people in the house is they like loose vegetables. <laughs> Whether it's sitting on a countertop on on top of an uncooked pizza or sitting on top of an unlit uh, barbecue. They love <laughs> loose vegetables. <laughs> or they're super into slice. Um, <laughs> well, that was the drink of uh, 1987. Oh, yeah. Everyone was drinking Slice. Everywhere you went, 
the hoyest of the polloi <laughs> had a slice in their hand. The, only the losers drank squirt. <laughs> <laughs> Drinking a squirt, are you? Nerd. (laughs) So let's start with Nick. He is a very sensible and sensitive piece of hunky man meat. Yeah, he's pretty dreamy. He is. He is. Listen, I would not kick him out. I would not kick him out just because he is dressed in all blue at one point. All blue. Like he's... (laughs) Auditioning for the Canadian version of the Blue Man Group. Well, Melissa, well, I know we have a, we'll spend a lot of time on Melissa, but Melissa seems to believe in the the whole like solid color ensemble. Oh, she does. She is a big believer in a unilook. Yeah, she's whatever got, that she, is. She's got these like Avon saleswoman pantsuits on. It's it really again, and, and this is a problem with a lot of these movies. Is I don't know how old these characters are supposed to be. No, because t- Tina, I guess, is supposed to be eighteen. But One assumes it, based on the circumstance. We can pick up from context clues that we assume she's about 18. I mean, these, some of these, like, Melissa carries herself and dresses like she's someone in her 30s. So, you know, again, I mean, I realize these people don't really know each other, but, you know, you know a 30-year-old isn't going to be going out and partying with an 18-year-old, or at least they should not. Under normal circumstances, yes. But Melissa is mystifying in, in a lot of different ways. She's just... She's mean girl. Like, she she came, you know, fully formed, and they opened up the package, they pressed the on button, and she's like, who do I intimidate around here? Everyone? Okay. Who can I use as a, as a minion for my evil plans? This dipshit over here? Fine. I don't care. <laughs> that evil, that dipshit, by the way, is named Eddie. Um... Eddie is a sci-fi geek whose elevator pitch for his new story contains the following phrase. We follow the last surviving man and his woman. Fuck you, Eddie. (laughs) Yeah, I I related to Eddie for a couple of minutes and then I was like, oh, no, he's really fucking annoying. And then then I'm I'm like, oh, God, am I like that? Because I can totally see myself, like, covering myself in party streamers and pretending to be the mummy. That is absolutely something I would do. But then I'm like, I, oh, wait, I'm like, oh, wait, no, this is like the guy who speaks in nothing but Monty Python quotes. Pretty much. If they could afford to pay for Monty Python <laughs> quotes, that might have happened. He's in a long line of, we need a representative of our audience in this movie so that we can make fun of them. Because they only, like, you know, pay for the movie and shit. They're your biggest fans. Make sure to poke them in the eye and punch them in the balls. It's great. Uh, by the way, uh, his woman, his woman has a name, Eddie. It's Starbabe. <laughs> Learn it. <laughs> then we have, we meet another in a long line of shitty stoner characters. Uh, this time his name is David and he is laboring under the belief that he's kind of a buddy Griffith from just one of the guys. When in reality, he's just sort of gross and eats olives off the top of uncooked pizzas. <laughs> um, next, we have Maddie. Uh, she's eternally saddled with quote-unquote best friend status. And unbeknownst to everyone in the movie, she's part of a secret ZZ Top Transform That Girl video. They just don't know it yet. <laughs> she kind of is. You yes, <laughs> she gets the legs treatment at one point in this movie. <laughs> She gives it to herself. She self-ZZ tops. She doesn't even need that little magic key ring. 
<laughs> I, I I sincerely hope there's someone who's like, you know, I've heard of ZZ Top, but I have no idea what he's talking about. Look up a ZZ Top music video, and you were like, this was entertainment? Yes, that's what I masturbated to. I'm sorry, that's what I watched <laughs> on MTV back in the day. Um, yep, this is the episode where things really start to take a uh, an interesting turn. <laughs> I'm just so relieved to find out someone else is into those beards. <laughs> I don't know, man. There's just I just want to curl up in them. And there's something about a guy who's good with his hands, but also is so frivolous with it, he'll just spin it around. I don't know. I just I, don't know. I like that they like classic cars, right? Yeah. And I don't want to see anyone's eyes, especially not during lovemaking. So the shades help. <laughs> I always imagine myself as that third dude from ZZ Top without the beard. Because I was like, I can point to stuff. <laughs> but the, but the, the irony is that his last name is Beard. That, that was, yes, that right. Exactly. <laughs> There's so much forethought into ZZ Top. <laughs> And almost no one talk. They are a relic of a lost time. No one is delving deep into ZZ Top, unless you're listening to a Friday the Thirteenth podcast. <laughs> Kill this this has been the ZZ Top cast. <laughs> Next week we're going to spend an hour talking about Tube Steak Boogie. <laughs> Just how disgusting that phrase is. Oh God! That was the uh, that was the original title for Friday the Thirteenth Part Five. <laughs> A more apt name. In fact, if it was called Tube Steak Boogie, I'd be easier on it. Because it would be living up to its potential. Or living down. <laughs> oh my god, I've lost my place. There's so, there's so many, many people in this movie. We're not even halfway through this list. Okay, now uh, we have Maddie's frenemy. And that's Robin. Uh, she's played by Elizabeth Caton. Or Catan? Caton? I don't know how to pronounce her last name. Here's what I know Elizabeth from. She's recognizable to anybody who watched USA Up All Night. Mm-hmm. Because she I recognize is, the name. I saw the name. I'm like, I know that name. Yeah, she's that girl in the bikini that I never actually get to see naked. But I'm pretty sure is naked in this movie. In every movie they ever showed. Uh, spoiler alert. She's totes naked in that movie. You just have to watch the unedited version. Uh, look up Vice Academy. Uh, she's practically naked in every single one of those. Uh, that Not that that's a bad thing. She's actually funny in those movies. I mean, there's like four or five laughs in 90 minutes, but, you know, she gets naked and she's funny. Good for her. So beyond her, of course, we have Melissa, uh, and she is the owner of one pair of daddy's pearls. <laughs> she has received a pair of pearls from her father she wears around her neck, which is not sexual. At all, I don't know what you're talking about, and that's not weird. <laughs> wait, didn't wait? If we're bring this, aren't we bringing this back around to ZZ Top? <laughs> yes. Yeah, right. I uh, do believe they did look... have a song called Pearl Necklace. They <laughs> Again, absolutely repulsive in every possible way. <laughs> now, there's a couple other people who show up here. We haven't actually even met them. These are just the people that Tina meets as she enters the house for this party. Which is, I wouldn't say it's a super good time. I mean... No, because you've got Russell, who I guess it's his uncle's house? Is that... Okay, and they're eating his uncle's food. Well, where is his uncle? That is yet to be determined. No one talks about where his uncle is. (laughs) Um, 
that's I completely forgot Sandra and Russell, who will I guess the reason why is because we're covering them in this episode. But if you wanted to know what I looked like in high school, just view Russell. I am Russell, probably 15 pounds lighter, only because I could not keep weight on me. Something I was able to overcome very quickly. <laughs> so you were, wait, you were a poor man's Patrick Dempsey? Y- yes. Yeah, I bet I had high hair. And high wore, hair. And you wore your pants up to your nipples? Yes, 1,000%. Every, epi- every, every outfit that he wears, he might have stolen from my closet. I I pink and bright blue bluish greens. So yeah, I was East, bathed yeah, those, in them. Yeah, those Easter egg colors. Mm-hmm. One hundred percent. I had a lot of braided belts. Yeah, the cardigan thrown over the shoulder, just so. Yes, I had long sleeve polos that looked like they might be a velour of some kind. Yes. <laughs> and and how hard did you work to get the Delta House expelled from the college? <laughs> very very hard at the time. In fact, I did not work very hard at almost anything. I stopped at earning that Eagle Scout. Once I got the Eagle Scout thing, I stopped working hard at almost everything in life. All downhill from here, baby. I've, yes. I've, I've reached my... I've peaked. It's sad to think, but I, it might be true. And his girlfriend, Sandra, who I think might be the person I like the most in the movie. How can, you, how can you like her? She's there. She's in it for about five minutes. But those are the best five minutes. <laughs> I, I, I suspect that this has something to do with the with the outfit she's wearing shortly before her her untimely demise. In, in I mean, that's she part is, of it. In which she is dressed for reasons I cannot determine, like a hee haw, honey. <laughs> I I thought it might be a pseudo gator bait cosplay. <laughs> I'm that's the same thing, into really. <laughs> Every blockbuster video I ever worked at had a copy of Gator Bait, and I was fascinated with it. And but for some reason, I refused to pick it up for the longest period of time, just because I knew it would not be as satisfying as the cover would allude it to be. Because that's a great VHS cover. It's just a girl in a tree with micro shorts. <laughs> um, but I knew like probably a hundred minutes of that those shorts would show up in about three. So I never really gave it a good college try, but boy, Gator Bait. <laughs> Gator Bait is great. And uh, I could watch Claudia Jennings just work at a blockbuster for 90 minutes and I would be satisfied. So you should someday give Gator Bait a, ch- a chance. I will make a resolution <laughs> to give Gator Bait a try. Um, I also like Sandra for her outfit in, the, in that first party scene. She's dressed up like his corporate wife she's wearing an asymmetrical dynasty thing with a thick chunky belt it's almost as if she's a a hostess at a nouveau riche uh japanese restaurant i I think that we we determined that part six had the most baffling aesthetic choices but but i gotta go with with this one there (laughs) there was some some outfit selections that i just could not make heads or tails of there's so many patches on so many different people there, there's, just... there's a lot of patches a lot of pastel a lot of shirts that are, are cut in a way that doesn't make sense there's so many needless hair waves happening oh yeah there's on, some there's some there's some some intriguing hairstyles let's say and, I'm, and that's only in the men i mean literally yeah. the only way i could tell the the male characters apart was from their 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 
puzzling hairstyles. They're all so weird, and so, and they act in the most inexplicable manner. They just keep walking in and out of that kitchen with no real purpose. I mean, why does the stoner kid come back in there just to pop a shotgun a beer and throw it up on everybody other than the script told him he had to do it i just feel like you know they're being set up for the audience to to you know be happy when they're killed and and you know i i'm playing right into it i don't care for these characters i i would not want to be stuck in a in a cabin out in the middle of nowhere with them as long as we're talking about inexplicable things russell says something while they're all uh piled into that tiny tiny kitchen uh, which contains a lot of loose, uncooked food, uh, rando uh, cans of slice. Uh, he says the following: "It looks like closing time at the new at the stock exchange around here. What stock exchange <laughs> has that many open cans of slice?" I, I think that that he meant to say, or the screenwriter meant to, to say, it looks like Grand Central Station. Yes. <laughs> But even then, it's like, I, I've been through Grand Central Station a couple of times. There's not a plethora of slice to be found there. <laughs> like, because New Yorkers are too good for slice. You have to go <laughs> south. Oh, my God. Uh, Maddie's outfit is crazy. She looks like she's some sort of Beverly Hills Girl Scout. There's so many patches, odd, chunky jewelry, and then her belt has, like, for, it's it's like a bandolero. The only thing missing from it is is bullets. <laughs> yeah, she's kind of got that like David Lee Roth, Stephen Stephen Tyler, too many accessories thing going on. <laughs> That's right. She's got bangles. She's Where, got everything. Know, she could be raptured, and you wouldn't actually know it because there's so much fabric and and, and <laughs> accessories that she could just be like a pile on a couch, and you wouldn't actually realize she wasn't there for maybe a half hour or so. Yeah, I mean, everyone's wearing so many clothes. So many clothes. Because it's cold. <laughs> it's, it's cold in July in, in New Jersey. It's very, Famous very cold. It's cold snaps in July. Um, we're, still, we're still literally not even halfway through the characters, I don't think. <laughs> well, we're going to talk about, I mean, we, we got through, uh, I mean, we talked in background. I've already about, forgotten their names. I've literally already forgotten their names. I, if I didn't have notes... This would be impossible. Nick walks into that kitchen to introduce Tina to the group. Um, and he does so like he's been told that he's Pinocchio and his strings were just cut off screen as he walks in. <laughs> I, I don't know how arms and legs work. <laughs> he introduces her uh, and then Melissa <laughs> sidles in like she's a snake woman. I'm not entirely sure what her character is other than main girl. Because if she wants to just have sex with Nick, I think it would have happened already, right? Yeah, I mean, she's just shooting shooting daggers at at, uh, at Tina from like from go. I mean, even in the earlier scene when Tina is just you know, has the audacity to to unpack you know remove remove a suitcase from a trunk, she's just sneering and making comments and and you know really being set up as this you know broadly hateful character and and. I mean, I, I don't know. When's the, has there been any other characters so far in the series in which that was just just designed to be so you know, blatantly terrible? That certainly not in the first four. 
I mean, everyone is blatantly horrible in part five. Well, That's yeah, but I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, like in, to to the point where it's like, why is this person even here? Why why are these people tolerating and making excuses? And again, that that lends itself to: do these people know each other, or do they not know each other? <laughs> because you know, they act like they're they're there together for the first time, and yet every time Melissa does something incredibly bitchy. Everybody's like, oh, well, she's just like that. Well, I mean, didn't you, haven't you just met her? <laughs> because, you know, and, and if you haven't just met her, then why are you still spending time with her? Because she's clearly a terrible person who does not like her friends. A, I don't think they're her friends. B, I think uh, there, there could be two, a couple of explanations. One, she comes with a set of instructions where everyone goes, oh, she's a designated, I'm going to hate everybody person. Okay, I'll operate under that knowledge. Or... Her legend precedes her, where they heard tale of a blonde wedge uh, attached to a devil woman. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, everyone knows that legend, but no one's ever heard of the mountain of dead bodies that they're all partying on top of. My theory with Melissa is this. She's actually the latter half of a body swap comedy that we did not see. So she, there's a 50-year-old adult woman trapped inside her body, which explains why she dresses the way she does, why she has so much disdain for her fellow young people. And then somewhere off screen is an actual 50-year-old woman who wants to uh, party and have sex and isn't being murdered by Jason. Uh, there's just no other explanation for it. <laughs> yeah, they could have. Uh, they like could have this detention sitch situation. <laughs> that you've yeah, I mean that's this. This would have been around the same time that there was like a plethora of body swap movies. Like right. there was the one with uh, Kurt Cameron. There was one with Fred Savage and Judge yeah. Reinhold. Vice versa. Yes, yes. Um, there was you know, well, this was in between the original Freaky Friday and then the remake. But yeah, that maybe this was you know they were trying to shove in another another genre movie in there, but. <laughs> But, but yeah, she definitely comes off the sort of Sweet Valley High kind of villainous character. And it really sort of just is very, very clumsily inserted into this, you know, this slasher movie. <laughs> it's like, wait, who's the real villain here? Are we getting this some sort of like the Walking Dead? You know, it's the people, it's the, it's the humans that are the real monsters here. I, where was all of these uh, very mad geeks when... Uh, dudes took over the Freaky Friday. It's okay if dudes sort of suddenly swap bodies between child and adult. Uh, but when you make a lady Doctor Who, everyone's like, oh, my eyes will never be recovered from this child's show that I'm still attached to. <laughs> yeah, as long as you're giving things to fanboys and not taking them away, they are satisfied. Which, of course, suggests that you're taking something away by making a Ghostbuster or a Doctor Who a woman, which you are not, but that is, I think, the mentality. Now, all previous copies of Doctor Who are going to be burned. Uh, they're going to be burned and then Shoot. not put out with male tears. Oh it's just—it's going to be a bonfire forever at the center of Trafalgar Square. And then, uh, and then everybody's going to have to be uh, zapped with one of those things from the Men in Black movies where it wipes your memories. Yeah, well, that's what happened with Ghostbusters. We never mm. there was another Ghostbusters. Every child <laughs> says. I, I I have no idea what you're talking about. Um, so now that we've taken down, uh, the, uh, male rights industrial complex, <laughs> take that. 
doofus uh, with a Twitter account, um, which would count for me. I'm a doofus with a Twitter account. The only other question I really have during the sequence, um, other than Tina having now, she can both have telekinesis and second sight. She's getting a Eyes of Laura Mars situation where she's being flashed into Jason's murder spree. Yeah, because they're 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 definitely starting to mix their uh their kind of abilities here. Now we got a giallo on our hands. <laughs> I'm psychically linked to Jason. All I want to do is perv on people through windows and make traps and decorate with dead bodies. <laughs> the only other uh, sitch that I got to talk about in this is randomly when Tina runs out the door, the back door, there's a bra and panty set mismatched nailed to the door. I don't think I noticed that. <laughs> I don't think I did either. Yeah. It's it really happens. Uh they are they are not part of a matching set. They're just rando after she uh drops her coke on the ground. She runs out and hanging as next to balloons is the panties and on top of a calendar is the bra. So yeah, this is turning into like a frat house sitch, isn't it? Yeah. Like, all of a sudden, Up the Creek is breaking out in the middle of this. <laughs> yeah, they're, um, they're, they really are trying to throw a lot of things at the wall in this, aren't they? It's almost as if th this is a formula they don't trust, and they want to keep adding things, just to see what will work and what won't. Uh, Tina then reports back to Mom that she's seen a man thing... Uh, murdering somebody in someone else's kitchen, and that he uh, and, and that he left a uh, the um what I would call it, the, the spike that the the tent spike and like like lodged into the wall outside their house. Yes, uh, Jason managed to clean it for some fucking reason. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's what mutant zombies who've been living in a lake for God knows how long will do. They're like, do, let do, me clean this up. Do you think he keeps? Like, I... Do you think he keeps a hanky in his pocket? Or do you think he just does the whole wiping it on like 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 his pants leg? I think pants leg. Don't you think he's a pants leg sort of guy? Yeah, I think he kind of you know he he, he has good time management, and while he's just stalking through the woods, he's just wiping this thing off on his leg. I'm going to clean this up and leave it for her as a thank you. Plus, he has to anticipate that sooner or later he's going to be back in that lake and it's just going to wash off. <laughs> that's right. Because at least once a movie, he's in a lake. <laughs> well, that's the thing, Patrick. Okay, I'm going to ask you, and I, I, I'll keep asking people. This is a character that supposedly drowned, <laughs> right. couldn't fucking swim. Right. Starting in part four... All of a sudden, he's Mark Goddamn Spitz, <laughs> where he could just get in water and shoot out at people. Yeah, he, in yeah, the he, last movie, he kept kicking like he was a fucking water polo player <laughs> to keep his torso above water. I mean, where did he learn all this shit? <laughs> I don't, I probably don't. when he learned. Probably when he learned how to drive in uh, in part two. <laughs> He went to the same. He went to the same school for for psychotic killers as uh, for pra for them to learn practical skills as Michael Myers did when he learned how to drive. <laughs> yeah, where are these training programs now, Trump? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it may just be the situation where you know he drowned as a kid, and then when he came back to life, he was like, "Well, I am not doing that again," and quickly enrolled at the YMCA, and you know, took a couple classes, learned how to. Learned this how is to probably swim. on his. 
on his journey with his mom's head in the bag that he yeah. took at the beginning of part two. <laughs> just picturing just Jason laying out in the pool with like a bunch of little small children kind of learning, you know, someone, we teach a child how to swim, you put your hand on their stomach and they start kicking around <laughs> and they slowly take the hand and they away and they start, either they, they, they start moving or they sink like a stone. It's adorable. Imagine and Jason all, trying to do that. All of the other kids were willing to put their heads underwater before <laughs> Jason and the teacher had to keep Come on, just, just down, just up to your nose, Jason, yeah. just up to your nose. I'll give you these. Get I have the bag I have, wet. It's fine. I, I have M and M's. If you do it, I'll give you some M and M's. He really loves M and M's. It turned out to work. It just. I'm just not that strong a swimmer. He grunts to himself because he can't really talk. Um, this has been what Jason Voorhees would be like at a YMCA kids swimming place. Uh, come see us next Saturday. We'll have a whole new show based on your suggestions. Um, <laughs> oh my god uh this love the level of horseshit going on at the uh, family side of camp is crazy um i will give lar park lincoln and terry kaiser this they are trying they're triers right they're giving it their all yeah i mean if i could understand dr cruz's motivations other than he has he has the bad guy written on his forehead and in, in in you know eyeliner pencil so you know when when he's screaming at this girl i'm like i i i i'm questioning your your credentials sir because so i'm not sure there's any sort of you know any sort of psycho psychiatric treatment that involves your doctor screaming at you and <laughs> and bullying you into staying in a in an isolated cabin where your your father violently died in front of you many years earlier. Uh, again, it's like he went to a some sort of medical school where the only way they were taught to heal was to yell at somebody like they've drowned and you're trying to yell them into living again. <laughs> all, all the abyss. <laughs> meanwhile, you have Susan Blue playing Tina's mom. And she is primarily a voice actress. And so every once in a while, you catch her when everyone else is talking, just waiting for her turn to talk. <laughs> yeah, when... and then she, she, I think that her, um, her entire direction in this, in the script is, is you know, she frets. Yeah. She's very fretful. She's a fret machine. She, she frets a lot. Yeah. She fretfully. She's the fretomatic. You know, says fretfully, fretfully stares. <laughs> when they're outside examining where the spike was. Uh, and Dr. Bad News Cruz is giving his explanation that these things are just manifestations of her guilt. Susan Blue is looking at him and mouths his lines. <laughs> like she learned everyone's lines and is just waiting for her turn to say hers. And no one thought when they were looking at this through the camera or at Video Village and who knows when this happened. But no one saw it in dailies and was like, we should probably get another take on that. <laughs> it's sort of like when you, uh, if you ever did a drama in high school or college, you've got the, if you were ever a stage manager, you kind of had to learn everybody's lines so you could remember certain lighting cues and sound cues. And if you ever had a person drop out and had to go into their role, sometimes you would be reciting everybody else's dialogue in your, in your head. You're not supposed to be mouthing their dialogue at them while they're saying it. Well, no one told her that, including the director or any of the gaffers or the editor back in 
Paramount Studios. Nothing. They just let that go by. She has a unique voice. I'll give her that. Uh, she's great for portraying squirrels. Kill, 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 kill. Break, 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 break. Hey there, hi there, ho there, killers. It's your old pal Patrick Hamilton. I'm breaking in here because if you rate and review us on iTunes and you tell us what your favorite kill is in the Friday the 13th series... We read it here on the air. That's our solemn promise to you, the listener. And so that's what I'm doing right now. We're going to start off with Romana D.W. And she gives pays us some very nice compliments. But she also mentions that her favorite kill from Part 7 is when Jason picks up a girl in a sleeping bag and bashes her against the tree. Uh, that's what we're talking about in this episode. Also, our friend Amy, AmyFix66 here on iTunes, but she talks to us all the time on Twitter, and if you are on Twitter, why not do the same? Join the conversation. She also loves that kill, so this would be a great uh, uh, addition for her as well, and we thank her for doing us a solid on iTunes. In addition, a couple other people who gave us uh, great reviews, uh, Kafka Squire, RJ47890, uh, divisive issues and the film roast podcast and if you haven't checked out divisive issues or film roast you can find them on itunes and hey give them a nice review Let, let's spread the love people and so that is all for this particular week we thank you all for joining in and helping spread the joy of kill by kill if you haven't already uh, given us a review on itunes i implore you to do so so that we can share this with more and more people and so, right now, the body count continues. Kill, 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 kill. Break, 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 break. So, we turn from this now, smash cut, to two people we've never met before. Just, just chilling. Just, I, I guess I don't think the, the, the character's name, the female character's name was ever spoken. And, and again, uh, I've, I've, she's Judy. I've already forgotten. Judy and Dan. Uh, they're cold. Judy, we know they're cold. Judy's cold. <laughs> Dan would like to have sex, and he's got a bad Arnold Schwarzenegger impression. <laughs> I, I will say that for as, as annoyed as I was at I'll Be Back, uh, A, this is just a few years removed from the Terminator, so it's actually not as overplayed at that time as it would be today. But also, it felt like such a relief to hear one of the characters in a Friday the 13th movie reference a movie that was more or less current because for whatever reason in especially in parts one and two all of their references are weird old like 30s movies or old vaudeville routines they're all just like ah see like why are they is this all they watch are they well steeped in the classics i was like well at least this guy's seen the terminator Oh, no, every like, character there has been raised on a steady diet of Turner classic movies. Yes, it's the oh. weirdest thing. Or where they go in part four, where they're dancing to like their 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 grandpa's ballroom dancing music. <laughs> yeah, all of them have. I think at the time we we sort of surmised that maybe they had Bugs Bunny syndrome, <laughs> where they only knew these references because Bugs Bunny had imitated them in his cartoons. Yeah, yeah. Or, yeah, it's just, what you can say for it is, like, these were, they, there was a sort of a vibe, especially that first one, where they gathered everyone from the New York theater scene. And so, they're like, what do you do? And it's like, well, I've got a killer Betty Davis impression. <laughs> All right, well, why don't you do it in the middle of this abandoned bathroom to yourself in a mirror? <laughs> okay. 
That'll take up time before we put this hatchet in your face. Will do, boss. <laughs> there just didn't seem to be a lot of young people working on this franchise, aside from the actors. And so I feel like all the decisions made behind the scenes uh, are like old man decisions. And yes. so I, I don't know. No, I think you've completely nailed it, Patrick, because a lot of this and the sort of thing that that is fun about it is it has a lot of anachronistic touches because they're definite slices of time. There are very few uh, franchises that came out one after the other, after the other, after the other. They they with the exception of 3D, they had that two year skip. Everything else is right after one another. So they're very much commenting on the time or what some Paramount executive thinks kids are into right. at the time or some you know would-be screenwriter from pittsburgh thinks of <laughs> teenagers at the time well the other thing is these aren't really teenagers they're they're all supposed to be young adults for the most part which puts them in a different sphere than a nightmare on elm street where right. they really are supposed to be teenagers and so they took even weirder risks with them <laughs> we skip off to the wilderness and these two who i have to believe were originally supposed to be the characters we discussed in the last episode michael and his girlfriend because they say why don't we just camp here and then she talks them out of it because they need to get to this party and then a little bit later they're like well we need to murder some more people <laughs> well why don't we just use that camping sequence that we wrote and write it for somebody else you okay <laughs> Solid. Run with it. Right. Yeah. We already bought the tent and the sleeping bag. Let's do this shit. <laughs> and we need somebody to introduce a machete into this. Yeah. Is this the like fourth or fifth machete he's just sort of randomly found? Yeah. Why doesn't he keep his machetes closer to the vest? There is one at the bottom of that fucking lake. Who knew that the machete industry was uh, was so uh, fruitful in, in, in 1980s New Jersey? I never saw a piece of that. I, I never knew I never knew a single person that owned a machete. There's a lot of bushwhacking out in New Jersey, from what I can understand. You you would think that we would be given a machete as a as a you know a, a fifth birthday gift. It's <laughs> it's time to find your way out of your out of these uh dark and dangerous woods by yourself, my children. See that's that's just what Big Machete wants you to think, man. I, the only I, way to stop a, a, a backwoods mutant with a machete is to have a machete yourself. I, I never learned, I never earned my my machete chopping badge in, in Girl Scouts. <laughs> it is literally uh, just it's literally just a patch of the machete and a dis, disembodied hand. Because <laughs> that's primarily what happens to people with machetes in these movies in this locale so yeah they have this tete-a-tete that's straight out of his girl friday once again <laughs> friday the 13th wants to think itself his so girl friday the 13th <laughs> <laughs> this, the screwball comedy friday <laughs> i i, I... I, I love how, how natural and realistic uh, she sounds. She says, hey, you big honk, come and get me. That's, that's just, that's my favorite line reading in the entire movie. It's, it's a shame that it's, it's within, it's, you know, expended on the first 25 minutes of the movie or so. They, they have alternating accents where one of them picks up a, a sort of southern accent and then drops it and the other one uses it for a little while. They're workshopping. Um, they're both hot and cold. <laughs> They're a Katy Perry song 20 years ahead of its time. 
Um, she convinces him to go get more wood and then immediately runs into the tent and starts taking off of all of her clothes. Is this, are, are, is this, have their sex games gotten too elaborate to steal something <laughs> from Dan McCoy? <laughs> You know, it's, they all, all these characters always seem to have some sort of, I don't want you to see me get undressed, so go do this thing and end up getting brutally murdered. I'll be over here taking my clothes off and then laying in bed coyly waiting for you. Yeah, you could just have sex. You know what would warm you up? Having sex. Just getting Cut in that- the middleman. Just, just getting in that sleeping bag. You don't even have to take off all your clothes. No, I, you don't have to do that for me. You're already in a sleeping bag. Just mash your productive organs up against one another. I'm not sure how it works. I haven't seen it before. Uh, a kid showed up here at one point. I'm not, I don't know how it happened. But from what I read in Penthouse Forum, there, there's like a, it's like an interlock. Have you guys ever used a mechanical press? <laughs> No, but I have put together IKEA furniture. I understand it's the same process. Okay, there we go. That finally, something everyone can understand. It's the failure to understand sex and the failure to build IKEA furniture. Perfect. Uh, so yeah, she sends him off. He starts hacking at wood with a machete while she undresses and takes off her uh, high top white tennis shoes because it's 1987 and that's what everyone gets myself included uh so yeah dan goes off and he gets the old jason Voorhees reverse chest burster and neck snapping combo yeah that seems a little overkill it's it's like putting a hat on top of a hat yes <laughs> literally <laughs> This is like a, it's like a combo death from part six. This is one of those throughout part six. There are a lot of deaths where Jason Voorhees would go. I can do that now. (laughs) Yeah. He's basically playing Mortal Kombat at this point. Yes. I think he is playing Mortal Kombat uh, and very Mortal Kombat for, for Dan, R.I.P.D. Every, every move is a finish him. And then he teleports back to the campfire and judy notices his very unkempt uh pants as he wanders around a campfire his his pants are shredded terrible (laughs) pants those were perfectly fine pants and he rose from the grave in them and for some reason just you know being in the water all that time has made the hem go all to shit he's gonna (laughs) he's gonna take that work suit back to sears and 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 try to try to get a deal on that lifetime guarantee that's right. Now, once again, what Sears is he going to go to, and how do you think that's going to happen? Because he doesn't have a receipt, and if he did, it's probably all wet by now. I think really he just needs to kind of raise the machete in a slightly threatening manner, and they'll just bring out a new pantsuit. I mean, yes, they, these, these pantsuits are probably made overseas. It probably costs about 30 cents a pantsuit. <laughs> there, there, are children, there are small children in a factory somewhere making these, these pantsuits. Like, why do we have to make so many of them? Because Jason Voorhees is a one-man industry. He so rarely reuses a weapon, though, which is a a bizarre trope of this franchise, where, like, he has a perfectly good tent spike. He discards it so that he can find something else. So I feel like if he's going into Sears, because we're still on this premise... Uh, he's not, <laughs> he's not, he's not bringing the machete. He's got to work with what he's got. So I yeah. see, you know, those little, um, 
the little paper tickets where you take a number and then sometimes there'll be like a spike on the counter where you then put the number when you're done with it. I'm thinking he picks up the spike. It just raises that in a threatening manner. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I could see that or, or maybe a you know, greeting card rack. He just tends to pitch it at someone's head or, or you know, maybe an industrial vacuum cleaner. Mm-hmm. I like this greeting card rack one because I feel like he could smash a person with it, and then a clever director will cut to the corpse of that person, and the cards covering them will all be like, sorry for your lost cards. They'll all be bereavement cards. And that's that's right out of part six. Bromley, are you secretly MC Hammer? Because you fucking nailed it. Um, so Judy uh, is waiting for her... Arnold Schwarzenegger impression machine of a man to come back. Uh, And then Jason, he pulls apart four. He rips into that tent with a machete, then abandons that weapon. It's like, well, fuck it. I need to stretch. I need some, I need a, the kind of workout that's hip for today. What are the kids doing? They're cross training. They're using tires and ropes. So he picks up that fucking sleeping bag and bashes her inside against a tree. I, I kind of love this this one because it reminds uh, yeah. me of one of my favorite ridiculous death scenes, which is from a movie called Prophecy. The bear one or the, the angel one? The bear one. <laughs> okay. The, the, the mutant bear creature. There mm. is a wonderful scene, which is, it's, it's, it is hilariously implausible. In which uh, this bear creature, who was you know, mutated because of toxic waste or some sort of you know very very timely environmental issue, um, attacks a a uh, a campground, and one of the characters attempts to hop away in their sleeping bag, which is a, a very efficient means of escape, and the the bear creature just basically backhands this person the sleeping bag and he does this like barrel roll into like a rock wall and literally explodes and it is it's the best thing i've ever seen i could watch that youtube clip over and over and over again because all i can think is how fucking hard did this bear creature you know, hit this 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 person the sleeping bag that he flips over and over and over and then just just erupts in, in, in a in a shower of feathers and sleeping bag scraps um, my, I really love, this is a top 10 death for me as far as the Friday the 13th franchise. It probably been, would have been a lot better in its unedited form, which upon telling was that he bashed the sleeping bag against the tree three or five times. That would have been even better, but there's something primal about it. That, that's so ridiculous that he was just using someone inside of something that they felt safe in and smashing them up against the tree just treating them like a sack of potatoes yeah just just working it out uh free weighting it you know this is what the ideal male body is and some people may not like it but it's the truth (laughs) i actually like you know this movie unfortunately was hacked to pieces and i think really suffers because of it I, I i don't it's one of my least favorite of the friday movies and perhaps with some of the gore intact i it might go up a notch or two but um the sleeping bag death is actually i agree it's one of the best in the entire series it may even be the best but i 
actually like it with just the one hit. I think the mistake is then when they cut back to her and she just has like a little bit of blood on her head or whatever. I'd almost yeah. rather just imagine what's going on in that sleeping bag. Um, but yeah, there's something about just the one and done that makes it funny to me. I don't know. I mean, that's probably the wrong attitude to take, right? But uh, no, it, it is funny because it's just a it's just a, a a just a silly way for someone to be killed. I mean, it's brutal and yet silly at the same time. Yeah, it's like it's so surprising, and at the same time, you're just like, well, yeah, of course, of course, that's what you would do. Uh, he's not using a weapon, and usually when he's not using a weapon, it's like he he loves throwing people out windows you know uh or smashing their faces in the shower or something but this one is one of the few you know just his hands deaths that i think really works uh, it's it's an it's a jackie chan sort of thing where he's just using the environment around him and you're like oh that's so clever <laughs> and then during the credits they show the bloopers where he threw his back out <laughs> slamming the sleeping bag into the tree <laughs> i like it a lot um, so then it's the next goddamn day. And they're still partying. They're, they're, they're determined to keep having this party with, with no sign or word from, from the guest of honor. No. And, and we're introduced to two more people who weren't there before. <laughs> oh my God. They showed up late. And yeah, it's Ben and, and Kate. Uh, not the late Fox show that was much funnier than anyone gave it the time of day for. That was a funny, that was one of the best Fox pilots I ever came across. Uh, this is a very unfunny Ben and Kate, and they have a, a personal problem with one another that to date has not arisen. No one says it out loud. Everyone just has to suffer with how shitty they are to one another. Then we cut to Nick and Tina, and Nick has Friday the 13th disease here. He's forgotten how to do something. <laughs> that skip stones he's just throwing <laughs> rocks into a body of water that's not fun no one just throws giant rocks into the water unless you're five then that's fine but not people who have to attend night school they they are either attempting to skip rocks or actually skipping rocks so he gives they they this is their we're both damaged moment where they're going to they're going to talk about what makes them them at, at the moment and how that brings them together. Nick was running with the bad crowd in Pittsburgh. We've all done that. And Tina killed her dad. That makes them perfect for one another. So it starts with, this is where my dad died. My dad died right over there. I'm pretty sure I was involved in it. I pretty much killed my dad. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and Nick's face is just like completely impassive. He's like, "Yeah, that happens." <laughs> <laughs> this is a real "I know who I know who killed me" moment, where people get cut. They just accept the worst violence they've ever heard of. Like my finger falls off. Yeah, people get cut. <laughs> I killed my dad. People die. People die near lakes all the time. I've killed like three or four people in lakes. That's what that's what we have in common. He's trying to score. He'll put up with anything. He's like, it's cool. Listen, we all have baggage. I get it. I get it. And in the meantime, Melissa is sneaking up on them like a teal ninja in cowboy boots. Uh, she's like a, a fucking power ranger. <laughs> Yeah, that, that scene is cut very weird. I, I, I feel like that there was supposed to be more that happened 
in that scene and she's just very clumsily listening in on their conversation i think that's what the subtitle of the movie should be friday the 13th part 7 i feel something more should have happened (laughs) (laughs) and this is a movie i like people (laughs) at this point it's a sort of bachelor uh hometown visit sitch where the sins of the past have come to a root uh, but the person is so hot and heavy for them they don't care anymore like i don't care that your parents are super weird and you're part of a cult and they may have killed your dad on a lake and that you have telekinesis and that you can see murders that may or may not have happened uh you know i want to see what's doing under underneath those highways jeans y'all <laughs> So then we go back to our snobs versus slobs cabin and our stoner is going to get everyone high as a kite. And he announces this by yelling the all aboard the Columbian Express. Why doesn't anyone in the Friday the 13th universe understand that Columbia (laughs) is cocaine yeah i was like is he gonna is he gonna put out put out some lines here because no everyone's getting everyone's gonna smoke there's no cocaine scene cocaine is an exclusive part five deal no one else knows where that dude's dealer this this had to have been written by the same this had to have been written by the same person who wrote the the you know it looks like the new york stock exchange it's like just 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 getting these lines like like almost right and then just suddenly zagging off to the to the left somewhere one afternoon he half watched an after school special it's like i I got it i know how the kids talk i mean there there are some of these lines in this movie are like you know one step away from from uh you know airplane you know i guess the foot is on the other i guess the shoe is on the other hand now (laughs) so melissa conspires uh with eddie uh to really get tina's goat because obviously she has information now that's going to utterly destroy Tina. And there's nothing that gets Melissa's juices flowing than ruining someone else. She really wants to make Tina angry uh, because we're giving this the full carry treatment. And we get it. Tina starts to squint really hard like she's trying to squeak past a, a an eyesight test at a DMV without her glasses. because She doesn't want to wear them in her in her photo. And you could you could almost see the the lines on that on on that necklace being pulled as it's like trying to <laughs> lift away from Melissa's neck. Yeah, the only thing wonkier telekinesis related than this is when Tina tries. Well, she doesn't try. She actually lifts up a television and throws it at Doctor Bad News, and you can see it wobble mm-hmm. <laughs> like like a teamsters just off camera. Like, well, fuck, this is heavier than I thought. <laughs> I thought they were going to take out all the parts in the middle in this. Everyone said you were going to take out the guts of it, and I'm lifting a whole fucking TV. <laughs> that was back when even tabletop televisions weighed about 300 pounds. That's right. You know, they, they were full of heavy fucking equipment. You, now you have a 40-inch 40, 40 television. It weighs about as much as a pack of cigarettes. <laughs> it's wafer thin. <laughs> <laughs> because we mentioned Monty Python, and someone had to demonstrate that they were that kind of dipshit in high school i was i was i didn't know what humor was so i needed to borrow someone else's so uh yeah uh, tita gets the whammy here 
uh, or I'm sorry, Melissa gets the whammy from Tina. Uh, we see her dad's pearls get erect and then explode. <laughs> you are on a uh, a roll, my friend. Today. <laughs> it's not my fault that the movie gives me this material. I didn't create the movie. I had no part in it, but when I ordered it online, they sent me the Blu-ray, and I can see every part of it. <laughs> and so that just uh, that makes Tina go nuts. Uh, then we see Tina go back to her mom, who frets, and Dr. Bad News. She throws the TV at Dr. Cruz. Um, and the entire time, Terry Kaiser is mopping his eye. It's weepy. He's got that Casino Royale, I bleed from my eyes while I play poker disease. <laughs> He's looking like he's got a little bit of guy liner going on in this movie. I can't quite figure it out. Yes. He might have hit himself with a bit of charcoal in the corner, trying to create those perfect bat wings. <laughs> when he's not mopping his eye, he's just weirdly, like, folding a handkerchief. Like, he just needs some sort of business. Uh, as though he were predicting that someday he would have to do a role that requires him to do nothing but sit on a couch and be dragged around by Jonathan <laughs> Silverman. So he's like, I got to work all my business in now. Give me the Kleenex. <laughs> this is all going away. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Listen, Brad Pitt isn't going to beat me to this. He might be eating several years from now, but I have folding. Folding's my thing. And yeah, and she throws the TV at him. Um and no one no one believes this sure i believe that you can make matches strike i think you can move things with your mind see murder no that's <laughs> that's too much smash cut to the middle of the night when sandra and russell are now night number three four who knows how long i've been there <laughs> Uh, and like, he asks a simple question of her, something everyone asks their partner. When was the first time you knew that you really loved me? And being the, you know, sassy gal that she is, she immediately states that there, what drew her to him was the bulge in his pants made from his wallet. I can believe this. <laughs> I believe it, because there's no way you could see the bulge of his penis in those pants. They're too voluminous. <laughs> and really, he has no other redeeming qualities. No. It's certainly not that he dresses well or looks good. I can tell you, because I looked exactly like him, and no one was into it. <laughs> and and he, he doesn't quite understand metaphors. He he complains about how much food everyone is eating. Which you know, when you're when you're hosting a, a a party, the the first thing you do is not bitch about how much food your guests are eating. All Sandra wants to do is get naked near him and fuck, and he's like, ah, oh, what about my uncle's cabin, dude? <laughs> Sandra's right there. Do you think she's gonna put up with this shit for long? If that's all you complain about constantly, like, think, think, dude. No, no. <laughs> She, as all the best instincts, she sees a body of water. She's like, I got to take off this barely any clothes that I'm wearing. I got to get into that cold ass lake. And he's like, I'll be right there. I just have 50,000 items of clothes to take off. <laughs> he really does. He's got like a sweater, a shirt. Ew. I'm surprised he doesn't have you know, like a, like a uh, 
you know, an Ocean Pacific T-shirt underneath that uh, th- that that plaid you, you know, Easter basket shirt. No, he probably has three pairs of underwear on, uh, two pairs of socks, uh, a scarf uh, <laughs> that he just ties around his midsection to make him semi-eunuch. <laughs> I'm saying we never got to see him stripped down to the sh- t-shirt that says, what about my uncle's cabin? <laughs> <laughs> Ask me about hey. my uncle's cabin would probably be funnier. <laughs> I kind of screwed that up, so... Oh well, <laughs> it works either way. I'm really fine with it. It's a great. Uh, we're gonna steal that, just like we stole get bunked uh, from our guests. We steal all our best material from our guests. That will, once you say it on the program, we own it. <laughs> Copyright kill by kill. So look for that T-shirt coming soon. <laughs> um, so yeah, she hops in the drink, um, and he. <laughs> begins to the laborious uh process of taking all those clothes off in the meantime jason's like what people are getting naked bling 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 uh guess who shows up to ruin the party and he gives russell a good old hatchet axe machete to the face i have the blu-ray of it i still can't fucking see what (laughs) instrument he's using to slice open his face but he gives it that sort of golf swing action I don't think we've seen that before, where he's like, it's like a pitching in softball. Yeah, he's got a little flair going on with that. Yeah, he's feeling his oats. Yeah, the the wiki says that it it is an axe. Yeah, the wiki also states that people are buried with one another if they were sleeping with one another. <laughs> I am really disappointed by how in the later movies the the whoever maintains these wikis did not put did not have the care and dedication of mentioning how these people how and where these people were buried. <laughs> yeah, like what is Sandra's parents' names? We don't know, <laughs> and no one made it up for us to make fun of. Come on, wikia. You were so good for so long. And then when we really needed you, you're like, eh, I'm, I'm tired. <laughs> I blew it all trying to, to talk about the scene which a cocaine addict picks up a monologuing waitress. <laughs> so, R.I.P.D. Russell, you won't be missed, not even by your uncle when he sees the state of that cabin, because uh, it's now littered with bodies and empty slice cans. And so Sandra sees him and his dead body, uh, gore from very far away. Uh, and it's like, fuck, this is crazy. Then she gets Friday the 13th disease. Her problem is she has forgotten how to swim in a direction. <laughs> She's just pulling donuts in the same spot. And for some reason, uh, Jason bamfs into the middle of this lake. <laughs> Uh, yeah, he did, again, he does some sort of like Esther Williams, like leaping out of the water in like a spectacular fountain. No, he's like fucking Orca, this guy. <laughs> this this person who drowned and then didn't. Who's supposed to be like that. That should be the one thing that he can't fucking do. But no, we broke that rule. Uh, now that he's been living in water, I guess, like he can control it like he's fucking Aquaman. <laughs> like he's signaling eels to hold him up. Whatever, you know, sea life he's uh, communicating with under the water. Uh, And then just we get a shot from underneath because we have to make sure if we paid Sandra to see her naked that we get to see her naked both dry and wet. 
And then we get an, a Jaws homage, and she just appears into the drink. R.I.P.D. Sandra. You'll be missed. I love you. <laughs> At least teenage me really loves you. <laughs> the, rea- the current me is like, uh, you're a bit young for me. But <laughs> 1987 me loves you. Well, and she carries over some, because she had also been in... Uh, Heidi Kozak had also been in Slumber Party Massacre too. She carries over some goodwill for me, so I'm I'm yeah. with you. She was probably my favorite. Yeah, she's she. Well, a lot of things are great about Slumber Party Massacre, um, and she's she's perfect for that. Her attitude really fits in there. Here, she's a bit of an outsider, but everyone's an outsider because they've been pulled from the uh, I have one character quirk warehouse and. <laughs> I mean, it's almost as if they were like, you know, we've seen people get murdered, but we want to see what happens when they're all in the same house and things get real. <laughs> and then True Jason story. arrives. <laughs> I mean, all they, they just really need someone to be like noodling on a guitar or, or right. someone someone with a with an Irish accent. I can't believe you ate all my peanut butter. <laughs> <laughs> Who's you people? <laughs> Slam cut. <laughs> black and white footage of a brick wall everybody hurts <laughs> <laughs> and this has been the real world cast everybody uh yeah so that that's uh this section of the movie and that means that it's everyone it's game time people it's uh choose your own death venture that's where we decide of the deaths that we're presented with in this section of the film, if we had to die in one of those ways, what would we choose and why? And let's review our options here ever so quickly. We can either die by reverse chest burster and neck snap, or we can be bashed against a tree inside of our own sleeping bag. Uh, we can get golf sliced in the face with a hatchet or machete or some sort of sharp instrument. Or drown. You could just drown. You could just let the icy cold grip of death take a hold of you. And it's supposed to be calm and peaceful, but it sounds like hell. So those are our options. Uh, Patrick, as our guest, I turn to you first. Uh, I gotta go sleeping bag all the way. Not only because it's iconic in the series, but also because I know I'll be warm. I'll be comfortable. Uh, in the theatrical cut, at least I'm only getting slammed one time. If we were going like the uncut version, I might change my answer because getting bashed five or six times, probably not as fun, but just mm-hmm. one hit against a tree and I'm done. That doesn't seem so bad. Oh, yeah. Now you will have to don those high tops and probably way uh, ahead of you. Okay. <laughs> check and check. <laughs> Gina, what say you? Well, I, I would say the, the sleeping bag, but also I, I would not want to be, I would not want my corpse to be found unclothed. So I am going to have to go with axe to the face. <laughs> you know, it's, 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 it's quick. I'm mostly clad. I mean, granted, you know, my friends and family will wonder why was she dressed like that? But, you know, that, that's probably would lead to more questions. Is why was she naked in a sleeping bag? <laughs> Well, because it was cold outside and you were going to warm yourself with your own body heat and you wearing cold clothes on top of it really doesn't keep you any warmer. Um, at least that's the way my father explained it to me. 
your your, oh. your your father said that you should get naked in a sleeping bag. What? Who said? <laughs> Where am I? Does someone smell almonds? <laughs> come back to us, Patrick. Just take a deep breath. Just come come back. You're you're safe. You're here. It's okay. I don't. Who? Why are we talking about sleeping bags? Anyways, the way I would die, I'm pretty sure would be the axe swing to the face, because like everything else, I mean, I'm basically Russell. People, I, I hate to tell you this, I, I was fucking Russell. <laughs> it's sad. I was Russell in every way other than the fact that Russell was actually getting laid in 1987, and I was not. Well, I mean, At you all. were you were what fifteen? I mean, how many fifteen-year-olds yeah. do you know were you know out there getting some? It felt like every other fifteen-year-old, but me <laughs> felt that way. Probably was not true. Well, you know, the, the it's 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 the only thing that's worse than you being Russell is basically that I was pretty much Eddie. So you know, that's <laughs> debate over. We could have a hearty debate over which one of us had it worse back <laughs> back in the day as as the youths tend to say uh, at least eddie was creative like russell just complains about shit he can't control and his uncle's uh, and his uncle's house yeah yeah my uncle didn't have a house <laughs> i'll tell you that right now not a house that i had access to that i could invite a bunch of assholes over to ruin uh so that pretty much brings us to the end of this edition but of course before we go we want to know where everyone can be found patrick uh, where can people find out more about you and what you're doing in your podcast and whatnot um yeah so the podcast is called f this movie uh we post a show every week we have reviews and articles and stuff almost every day at f this movie.net um and uh i'm also co-hosting a show about horror movies through Daily Dead called Corpse Club, which you can find at dailydead.com. And uh, I'm just regular me on Twitter, just at Patrick Bromley, just my name. Excellent. Check it out, people. Gina, where can people find you on the internet? I write about 70s and 80s television at tuneintonight.wordpress.com. Check it out, people. Do it today. Hey, do you want to talk to us here at the Kill by Kill podcast? There's a couple different ways you can do it. You can reach out on Twitter at Kill by Kill Pod. You want to say something longer than 140 characters? Send us an email. Like, people still do that occasionally. I mean, old people do, not youngins. But still, you know, let's say you, you have a story to tell. Uh, don't give me one of those uh, threads. Uh, fuck that. Send me an email at killbykillpod at gmail.com uh, follow us on instagram at killbykillpodcast uh, and you know what would be nice if you gave us a kind review on itunes I'd appreciate it everyone asks you but only I am asking from the deepest warmest part of my heart if you tell us what your favorite uh, kill in the Friday the 13th franchise is we will read it here on the air that is our solemn promise to you the listener and Sadly, that is all for today, but the body count will continue next time for myself, Patrick, Gina, and another Patrick. Uh, Bye-bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Kill by Kills produced by We Write Good and is intended for entertainment purposes only. Friday the 13th is owned by Paramount Pictures. Jason is owned by New Line Cinema. No infringement is intended. 
Kill by Kill logo was designed by Josh Hollis. Visit him at joshhollis.com. The Kill by Kill theme was created exclusively for us by Revenge Body. Get the whole track and much, much more at revengebodymemphis.bandcamp.com today. <laughs>